Welcome to Long Story Short. My name is Shanta Pukler. I'm president of Man Group, and I'll be hosting a podcast series for investment professionals. Every year, we're asked by our clients and investors globally all kinds of questions from data science to monetary policy, the effect of inflation, how to trade or better risk manage portfolios. It's the goal of this podcast to have wide ranging and deep conversations on some of the most difficult topics that we face today. For our first episode of this podcast, I want to start by focusing on a wide ranging and I think very timely question, and that's fixed income investing. In this environment of low yields, record inflation, and rising rates, how is one to invest effectively in the investment grade and the high yield world? To help shed light on this domain, I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Golan, a veteran in the IG space and a discretionary portfolio manager here at ManGLG. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, Shanta. Great to be here. So, Jonathan, investment-grade assets have just experienced some of their worst returns in 2021, and 2022 is not shaping up to look a lot better. Let's start today's podcast by asking you to provide some color on what's been driving these difficult returns and what the prospect looked like over the coming quarters. Great. So um, the main driver for negative returns in 2021 and early 2022 has really been the repricing of government bonds. So in some investment grade markets, we're experiencing the worst drawdown since 2009. And the reason for this has really been a toxic combination of very unattractive valuations going into 2021, coupled with what I define as an unfavorable environment for bonds, where we had um, both very strong um, economic growth, but more importantly, accelerating inflation. So more than a growth story, it really has been an inflation story. So if we wind the clock back 12 months ago, the paradigm was that we're facing transitory inflation. And now, as, as we look into the future, it seems that the risk of inflation becoming more entrenched is perceived to be much higher and central banks are called into action. When we look at corporate bonds, corporate bond spreads or the difference in yields between government bonds and, and corporate bonds um, has come off a 10-year low, but is still relatively compressed um, over a long time period. So most of the pain that investors felt in the corporate bond space has actually been, again, linked to government bonds rather than corporate bonds. If we look over to the next few quarters and I sort of peer into my crystal ball, I see a much more constructive environment for, for high-grade bonds. So when I assess investments, I always look at both valuations and fundamentals and, or, or risk. And in terms of valuations, the number of rate hikes that we're seeing priced in the market in early 2022 greatly exceeds what was actually achieved in the previous cycle in 2017 and 2018. So certainly you can argue that we've got much more of a valuation support over the next few quarters. And in terms of the fundamental backdrop, we also think that inflation and growth are likely to peak in the spring and start to fall as we enter the second half of the year. So both elements, valuations and fundamentals, paint a more constructive picture for bonds over the next 12 to 18 months or so. That's great, Jonathan. I guess the, the thing that jumps out from what you just said to me is your, is your view on inflation, which is potentially controversial. And I'd be, I'd be curious to hear how you think about inflation going forward. So I guess the, the difficult piece of the puzzle is to understand what has been driving inflation and how inflation is likely to 
um, behave over 2022 and beyond. So when I look at what has been driving inflation, the first impact is relating to coronavirus and how that has constrained production of certain elements that feed into the supply of goods. So things like um, semiconductors that are absolutely essential in, in the production for anything from mobile phones to automobiles. So we think that is very likely to ease over the coming quarters. And we're seeing that through what companies that we lend money to are, are guiding us. So they're saying that these supply issues are likely to ease and therefore that should help. There's also some base effects um, to, do, to do with oil, that the price of oil was very subdued in the first quarter of 2021, and these sort of base effects are likely to ease. And also, as we look forward, our expectation is that investments in these sort of commodity sectors are likely to increase, alleviating some of the high prices that we're seeing now. The bigger question is what will happen with demand-side inflation, uh, which is, to me, linked to central bank actions. So, our view is that central banks will follow through with what they've promised in terms of increasing rates fairly quickly during 2022, and that should hold the inflationary demon at bay. Um, this is the biggest risk that we're seeing to markets in the medium term. So if they do not do that, we may be entering into a paradigm shift where the public, instead of having um, disinflationary um, paradigm and behavior shifts into a more inflationary paradigm and behavior. And I'm happy to elaborate on that as well, if that's of interest. Well, maybe let's shift gears a little. I, I think about investment grade and high yield and, and sort of the classic equity bond blend, 60-40 blend as a starting point for many investors. But with bonds at relatively low yields and feeling a bit expensive, what is a 60-40 asset allocator to do? Should they remain underweight or do you see this as an opportunity to start closing those underweights? My view, which is probably somewhat out of consensus, is that it is a good time to re-engage in the bond market, even if you don't believe that bonds are attractive in the absolute sense. The repricing of interest rate hikes certainly implies that bonds have a diversification benefit in any investor's portfolio. So if in 2021 we said that bonds are fairly toxic, we think now bonds are again bonds are again a very important or a key asset class that investors should um, put in their portfolio for the diversification benefit. And I talked earlier about the valuation of bonds and how the corporate bond market and the government bond markets now imply um, a substantial rate hiking cycle. And in some investment grade markets, even 100 basis points more than what we achieved in the previous cycle of 2017 and 2018. Right. So, so certainly there's a lot of cushion baked in compared to what we've experienced in the last cycle and also what we've experienced over the last sort of 10 years coming out of the GFC. And the risk to covering the underweights that we've discussed at quite length earlier, that, that we do enter this paradigm shift, central banks behind the curves, and then inflation becoming what we call runaway inflation rather than transitory or temporary inflation. I mean, I guess I'm thinking on the backs of a couple decades of bond tailwinds from a yield perspective. We're not looking forward to a declining rates lifts all boats environment uh, over the next several years, uh, or at least many people believe we're not. Um, what happens in the investment grade market without some of those aggressive buyers of bonds? Does that fundamentally change how, how these bonds are trading or pricing, you think? 
my view is that it's not only going to change how these bonds are pricing, but how the economy behaves more broadly. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with this question. It's an excellent question because the removal of central banks from the corporate bond market will have far-reaching consequences that are certainly not constrained only to the investment-grade market. They're going to impact other asset classes and they're going to impact the economy more broadly. Um, my view is that over the last 10 years, capitalism has been on hold. Uh, we've had a long hiatus where you know, the invisible hand that prices credit risks adequately according to the cash flows that companies generate was just not allowed to operate. What that meant over, over the last decade is that we've had on average very low credit spreads across the market, but even more importantly, a low level of dispersion. So good companies and bad companies were able to borrow at roughly the same rates. And that is the key element that's going to change. And that is going to have, again, far-reaching consequences. It means that companies will once again be allowed to default. What does that mean for the economy? It means that we're pruning out all these zombie companies and we may get better productivity. What does it mean for investors' portfolios? It means that if you've had lazy longs and you own these passive bond funds, you might find yourself in a bit of trouble where some of these investment-grade rated companies, they're not, they not actually investment-grade uh, quality, might, might get into trouble. And you also get some opportunities. So it's not only just risk, it's also opportunity that this increased dispersion in market provides scope for active fund managers to generate returns because the central banks are not intervening so aggressively anymore. Sure. I mean, without dispersion and without sort of fundamental underpinnings to pricing, it's hard to do your job, I'm, I'm guessing. Absolutely. We've always said that the hardest periods for us is when central banks are more are most aggressive. And the best periods for us is when they sort of step away and we get a lot of, of volatility. So in a way, we relish volatility in a way that some investors do not. It's interesting. I mean, there is a parallel there to the equity markets where we've seen a lot of dispersion as we've come through sort of the recent value growth cycles. Equity markets have also become very concentrated. Is that true in your world as well? We've certainly seen an increase in dominance of, of exchange-traded funds, ETFs. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure that it is as um, pronounced as in the equity market, but it's certainly um, over the last 10 years that I've been active in the market, I've seen these grow from have, being having a negligible impact to being very material and particularly in periods of volatility, of increased flows, where, where investors are trying to sort of get in or out. Um, my perspective on these ETF exchange-traded funds is the same view that Benjamin Graham takes in The Intelligent Investor on, on Mr. Market. So I view the ETFs as um, capricious market players. They sort of buy and sell almost indiscriminately. Right, by definition. Yeah, whether there's more buyers or, or, or sellers. And our job as active investors, and as we like to perceive ourselves as the intelligent investor, is to take advantage of, of this capriciousness and really try to buy low and, and sell high. And what I find is that typically the, the ETFs tend to be very momentum oriented. So when the market is very cheap and people are very pessimistic, there tends to be a lot of selling. And then that's when you should step in as an intelligent investor. And vice versa, when there's euphoria and the ETFs are very active in buying, you should really sell into that. That is what we're always trying to do, harness to the volatility to our own advantage. So one of the questions I have is in, in an environment of relatively low rates, 
it would seem appealing to generate returns in in the bond market simply by taking on more risk. How do you think about that in your process, and 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 how should our allocators um, be thinking about that? From my perspective, this this is sort of the it's almost like the tragedy of the commons mm-hmm. that uh, basically everyone is sort of piling in at exactly the wrong time. And what what do low yields actually mean? Let's take a step back. Low yields mean low expected returns. This is the worst time that you want to actually lever lever these returns. So you want to lever returns when expected returns are high, but typically. Investors have a very cyclical investment mentality. So when the economic picture is rosy and yields are low and everything looks great, then they think, oh, gosh, the good times are going to last forever and they add risk. Whereas my view is that you should actually behave in the opposite way. So I believe investors should have a constant underwriting standard throughout the cycle, which naturally leads to countercyclical investment style because you will have many bonds that meet your underwriting criteria when the market is cheap, but very few bonds when the market is expensive. So if you want to generate additional yield from from the market, really this would not be our preferred method. Our preferred method would be to harness the huge breadth of the corporate bond market to your advantage. So when I look at the global investment grade universe, you've got 17,000 securities. And to generate better yields, an intelligent and active investor should really seek to find the best possible bonds out of these 17,000 securities rather than just levering or going down the the credit spectrum. So just following up on that from those 17,000 securities, and obviously we won't talk about individual securities here, but I'm curious where you see the opportunities, either in terms of sectors or or types of investments? What do you see as a prospective opportunities there? One point that is very important for me to highlight is that when investors lend money to corporates, they will be well advised not to think just how these companies might perform over the next six or nine months, but take a more strategic view of whether these companies can pay the coupon and repay the principal if an investor is forced to own that bond till maturity. So taking the Warren Buffett approach of saying, if the market is closed for the next five years, we're still getting repaid. Um, We're still getting repaid and we're comfortable with these bonds in under various scenarios. Now that does not mean that investors should not be tactical at all. I guess we talked about inflation and we talked about my view, which is probably um, somewhat out of consensus of also slowing growth. So, Our view is that investors should build a portfolio that can also withstand the stagflationary environment. And therefore, um, we would recommend avoiding um, consumer cyclicals, industrial cyclical companies, um, and focusing more on uh, companies that have inflation-linked revenues. So that would be on the commodity space, but also just companies that, by the definition of their contracts, enjoy inflation-linked revenues. We also think it is prudent to look at companies that benefit from higher interest rates. So certain sectors such as European life insurers benefit when interest rates go up. So that is where we think investors would be wise to tilt their portfolio tactically, but also keeping the strategic point in mind that they want to ensure that every single bond that they buy has adequate margin of safety and they can own it through to the maturity of that bond. And how would you answer the question if we shifted it to high yield? Are the high yield markets behaving in a substantively different way? And what do you see the opportunity there? 
Broadly speaking, the high yield market is very diverse in a similar way to the investment grade market. So there are always opportunities for active investors to find individual bonds that have promising risk return characteristics. That being said, given our view that the economy is likely to slow and inflation is likely to pressure uh, corporate fundamentals, we prefer investment grade to the high yield market. So high yield companies tend to be smaller companies, their balance sheets are much weaker, they tend to have less pricing power, and therefore they will suffer disproportionately. And this comes on top of the um, valuation cycle that saw investment grade bonds underperforming high yield bonds materially. And, and from that perspective, we actually think that for the first time in a long while, investment grade bonds look more attractive than high yield bonds. So just to close out our discussion, I think it'd be interesting to end with a more open-ended question around sort of what keeps you up at night as you are investing in this space. What are your worry points? The biggest risk that I see at the minute, which is front of mind, but doesn't mean it's not a big risk, is this idea of getting into runaway inflation. And that would completely change the paradigm in the bond market. So if you look over the last 10 years, people have been deeply imbued with disinflationary behavior. If central banks fail to act now, as the market predicted they will act, then we can certainly see the behavior of people changing into more of an inflationary mentality. So people demanding higher wages, people negotiating contracts with inflation protection, and lastly, people selling out of nominal assets, so bonds, into real assets. And if that avalanche hits, that can be very, very painful in a way that it has been painful in, in the 1970s. I do want to caveat this risk in saying that this is not our core view because we think central banks are committed to bringing down inflation. But that is something that investors should pay very close attention to. If investors have a sense that central banks are wavering and failing and umming and oing, then this is a point where they should be very careful with nominal assets in general. Jonathan, that's great. Let's close it out here. You've left us with a lot to think about, in particular, this, this inflation stance and sort of your perspective on it. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Jonathan. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to Long Story Short. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms as well. For Long Story Short, I'm Shanta Pukler. And until next time, take care investing out there. Mm.